1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Women Askcast on askblog.com. Our third in three weeks. We've become worryingly prolific um, on that score, but a lot going on, obviously, with big games left, right and centre. And to discuss, well, to, to discuss two of those big games, really, um, I'm joined as ever by co-host Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how are you doing?
0: Not too good after yesterday, but I'm excited for Thursday. So that's one positive thing to come out of this week, at least.
1: Yeah, indeed. We might as well um crack straight on because we you know, we do have to talk about the FA Cup final on Sunday, unfortunately. As much as I'd like to do the men in black thing and just like erase it all from my mind. Um, we promised the people we'd talk about it, so let's talk about it. Um, three nil defeat. Certainly I think um comfortably the, the worst performance under Jonas Eiderval. He referenced that as well. Um he referenced that, you know, the The team didn't really turn up um, on the day, which I think is fair enough. Um, what, I guess, because there's not a lot... I mean, if we get out of the way, the fact that Manu Zinsberger was really good, I think that that's basically as far as we can go with the praise. Um, what was the thing that disappointed you or, or maybe even surprised you the most about this game?
0: I think how bad we were defensively. I think... We, I mean, we consciously know as Arsenal fans that follow the team that our defensive line is probably, I wouldn't say the weakest link, but when Leah Williamson is not there, it automatically becomes the weakest link um, by default because Leah Williamson is that important for Arsenal. And I think a lot of people don't realize that until she's gone and you, and you see these kinds of performances. But I think defensively, it was just really disappointing because despite, you know, we consciously know that what we have in defense without Leah Williamson, but at the same time, no one showed up to the moment, to the event. You know, it's a final against Chelsea. It's it's far beyond your on-the-pitch capabilities, your football capabilities, you know, no matter how good um, how good you are, like, you need to show up for the occasion. I don't think anyone did that, much less their defensive line when you're playing against Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr. You know, Chelsea didn't play amazingly. Like, mm-hmm. they... It was a very basic performance, but they just everyone individually fought their battles, did everything right and showed up to the occasion. Whereas Arsenal did, I think, quite the opposite. Um, But I think defensively, offensively, it was disappointing, but I think defensively just hurt us a lot more uh, in the end of the day. And that was just really disappointing and very painful to watch.
1: Yeah, it, it sure was. I know you might hear my daughter in the background who's still um, getting over it. Uh, her histrionics, I think, a fair soundtrack uh, for this at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's one of those things as well. I watch the game back to do the analysis piece, and usually when I watch um, a defeat or or an inferior performance back, I feel better about it the second time. I felt worse about this <laughs> the second time, even absenting like the anxiety that I felt at Wembley and you know during the first half I was just like this this is going to get away from us and I was amazed we were only 1-0 down at half time and the only positivity I felt was at half time I thought Chelsea might have let us off the hook here they might regret this because it's only 1-0 but I mean it wasn't to be I don't think there's any debating the score line when you lose 3-0 the other team hits the woodwork three times and your player of the match is your goalkeeper I think that sums it up I thought what really surprised me watching it back was, like you said, with Kerr and Kirby. We, we know that Chelsea, when they put the squeeze on, they're great with the press. And I thought Jess Fleming was just as important as Kerr and Kirby, the amount of pressing um, that she did. But what was really weird when I watched it back and kind of, you know, stop bits and look at people's positioning is, like when they were putting the press on, Kerr and Kirby were just standing in space like nobody was picking them up. The amount of times I, uh, I watched it back and saw, like Kirby getting an untracked run, or Sam Kerr just standing between the centre halves, and I, th- I think another quite painful thing about it, we we spoke in the preview about, um, you know, we talked about how we'd be all right with Leo Valti at centre half just because, um, just because of like a lack of pace elsewhere in that defence, and I think. I guess, and, and something we spoke about pre-season that I think was exposed in this game is some of the shopping we've done at centre-half, look, it's very difficult to find an analogue for Leah Williamson, but the weird thing is we've got Leah Williamson and then we've got a group of centre-backs that are, that are very similar, um, but none of whom are, are analogues for Leah. So, you know, Gen BT, I mean, I mean, we've got a cluster in Gen BT, Simone Boy and Vicky Schneiderbeck who are all... You know, who've all been really great defenders in their career to varying degrees, but they're coming to the end of their careers, they've had lots of injuries, there's not a lot of pace there. And, and I have to be honest, because I love Jen Beattie, I think she's been a brilliant player, and I still think that in every other aspect except running, she is great, like she's got really good positional sense, um, brilliant in the air, decent one-on-one, but I, unfortunately... When I watched it back, it just became apparent to me that Chelsea targeted going in behind her. And I think Arsenal have got to think again about that defensive line um, and drop it a little bit while Leah's out because because otherwise, you know, plenty of other teams are going to do that. They're going to try and run through the middle, Um and, and no one can do that better than Chelsea. So there was that element to it. So um, wh- why don't we take this like in departments then? So we've sp- we've obviously given Manu-, Manu Zinsberger her due. We've talked a little bit about the defence or lack thereof. What about the midfield? Because we spoke about this and we thought that this was the midfield that Jonas would pick. Um, and I, I have issues with this midfield three. What did you make of, of both their selection and I guess their performance on the day?
0: I think that selection, if I remember off the top of my head, it's only happened once before this midfield three. Uh,
1: uh, we started it against Aston Villa away, um, Manchester United away, Spurs away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there was maybe Kirsch at home. No, I think Jordan stay But definitely at least three games. And uh, a theme in those games is that we haven't scored until there's been a substitution made in midfield. Precisely. So I think when you're
0: going into the game against a team like Chelsea and an FA cup final, I think it was really wrong to look at this very defensively. Um, And at the end of the day, going defensively is what hurt us. (laughs) I mean, we did nothing defensively. And because of that, we couldn't do anything offensively either. So I think that midfield combo was just a recipe for disaster. Given the back line, um, whether you drop Leo Valti back into centre-back or whether even you can switch up and put Steph Catley in centre-back and bring back Katie McCabe, that would probably be a better solution than putting Jen Biddy and Lotta in the, in the same back of line as mm. centre-backs. And then because... And when you put back Leo Valti as a centre-back, for example, then you leave a space in the midfield to put another creative player ahead of Freedom Anum and maybe behind Kim Lil. Um, I think as soon as Manu Abuchi came on, her flair was showing right away because she was doing everything that everyone else couldn't do in the first half and most of the second half either. But I think that's what we were missing was that creative spark that would link our play between our defense and our offense. I think Frieda Adam and Leo Valti were way too defensive. I mean, if you look at, I believe it was that Fran Kerr. No, it was Fran Kerr. I don't know what I'm saying. It was the first Fran Kerr goal. And basically, Frieda Adam was the one trying to defend her. And that just, that made no sense that there's no reason why Freedom Adam is the one chasing her run into the penalty box as a latch stitch defender, basically. And that, that just made no sense to me. And the ball progressing was terrible. It was absolutely terrible between, I mean, if we counted all the times that of Manu Zinsberger and Jen B.E. touched the ball out of the three of them, I think it would probably be the most out of both teams combined. And it was just, it was, it was, really bad to watch because there was no midfield coming to collect. And Leo Valti has been struggling a lot under Jonas. I think just because naturally she's a bit more defensively than offensively, which is why, I mean, we've spoken about it a lot, why he prefers freedom Adam in that role. But I think with the two of them together, it clashes too much. And I, I don't, I think that's simply because the style of football, but also what Jonas is expecting from both of them because freedom Adam has been put into that role and has been expected to play a bit more defensively than she has been. So when you pair that with Leo Valti, who's very defensively, I think they just get in the way of each other and they kind of contradict one another. And then you take that away and you have Kim Little isolated. I mean, she's a great player, but there's only, there's only so much you can do alone. Um, and she is one of the players that's coming at the end of the career. And that's not going to be as active as Amani Wabuchi or Jordan Obs, for example. So I just thought that midfield three was, it was, it was really bad when you put them. I'm not saying like players individually are bad, um, but just those three individual like put together just don't really help anyone. And then individual performances, I think, free. It didn't help that Freedom Adam didn't have a good game because she mm-hmm. has been our savior for a lot of matches. And I don't know if maybe it was nervousness, but like all her first touches were bad, and that's that's really rare to say when you look at freedom Manum play her first touches were bad. her distribution was barely visible. Um, Leah Valti as well. I think Leah lost. I, I, I think Leah actually performed slightly better than Frida Manum defensively, but her distribution was cut off quite a lot. And that hurt us a lot. And Kimil, again, yeah, she was just very isolated and there's only so much that she can do on her own. And I think Chelsea closed the gaps on our wingers quite nicely. Um, And so once Kim Little got the ball, I don't think she had any options and it just, just domino effect down the line. It just, it just went really, really bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's, there was just a lack of variety in the kind of, in the ball progression plan. There was, there were lots of fairly aimless long balls to Miedema and that's, that's not her game. And without Leah Williamson, I don't think that kind of long ball game is, is nearly as effective. Um, And that midfield, I mean, to put it into context, I think um, in in the WSL, this is Kim Little's expected assists this season, 0.7 across all of her WSL appearances. And she's got more minutes than anyone else. So we're looking at not quite an assist yet, nearly halfway through the season in terms of expected assists, which I, I mean, to me, I've said before, I just don't think Kim Little's a final third player anymore. Um, I I actually I prefer her as a number six I actually prefer her deeper where I think her ability to protect the ball and her press resistance is really, really useful I I think she's just become a bit ponderous in the final third, to be honest I think there's too many touches there's too many she's, uh, sometimes it frustrates me because she's so good at getting away from players and you think, oh brilliant, she's away and then she goes back and tries to beat them again or passes the ball backwards and I just I just don't see her as a as a final third player anymore which is not to say she's a bad player I just think you can't have Kim Little as the as the most advanced of uh, of three of three midfielders I kind of agree that really he's got to choose between Freedom Arnhem and Leo Valti I'd feel more comfortable with those two as a double pivot if you've got Jordan ahead of them because Jordan is a final third player and I think if there's, you know, We talked about things we can learn from Barcelona, who we'll come on to in a minute, when we were soundly beaten by them. If there's something I think we can learn from Chelsea in this game, um, particularly as Arsenal try to develop their own counter-pressing game, it's the impact of moving the ball quickly. One touch, one touch, two touch. All three of Chelsea's goals they scored within four touches of a turnover. It's devastating. That's the whole point in forcing turnovers. You get teams when they're they're disorganised, but that only works if you move the ball quickly. And for me, when Arsenal don't have Jordan Nobbs or Manit Iwabuchi, the ball doesn't move quickly enough and we become a bit predictable. And we saw that against Villa. Iwabuchi had to come on at half-time. Saw it against Tottenham. Iwabuchi and Jordan had to come on before a goal was scored. Against Man United, albeit it was an injury, Kim came off for Jordan and Arsenal scored twice. Like I, I, I'll be very interested to see whether um, any of Jonas's thinking has changed about that midfield three. And in fact, I'm going to ask him on Wednesday um, in the in the pre-Barcelona press conference. Um, I'm going to ask him what what he likes about that that midfield three. Um, which sounds—I don't mean that to sound like what the hell do you like about that? But like, I'd, I'd like him to because he, he's he's kind of settled on it a lot in recent weeks, and I'd I'd like to understand. Um, why? Uh, I guess why exactly? And, and and I think, like you said, Arsenal rely a lot on their wide players for service. And when you cut them out, and Chelsea did cut them out, I think yesterday, um, it it becomes difficult when you haven't got anything else through the middle. And and that's why I I think that Manor or or Jordan should always be there because I think they give you they give you a bit more centrality. But um, so the goalkeeper was good. Tick. The defence was bad, tick. The midfield was bad, tick. Arsenal didn't have a shot on target in this game, which is very unusual. Um, Although, I I mean, I guess, actually, before we go on to that, because it's difficult, I think, to talk about the attack because they got so little of the ball. Um, But what did you make of the decision not to bring Jordan Nobbs on um, at all? Now, I asked Jonas about this and he said in his explanation i think he was basically saying he didn't or this is what i inferred from what he said so not exactly what he said he'd brought on mana iwabuchi and i think he was basically saying he didn't want to bring on both of them um because he felt that would be too open and that they had a plan to try and force it to extra time and then maybe go for it in extra time uh, and, and essentially, my, my reading of it was he felt he could only really put one of them on and he chose manner But but what was your take on Jordan um, sitting this one out? And it has to be said, you know, there are pictures of her like in tears on the bench. Um, she gave her medal away, which on, on one hand, well, predominantly lovely touch to the girl she gave it to. But I would suggest that there was a little bit of I really don't want to th- look back on this day whatsoever um what what was your take on on jordan not getting on
0: i mean i understand where jonas is coming from in terms of you essentially mana and jordan do play the same role in the midfields um there are that creative spark the interlinking play we've talked about it i mean they have the same impact on the team is what i'm trying to say they're very different style plays but the same they have the same role and impacts that they do in terms of pog regressing in the final third and everything.
1: They're disruptors.
0: Yeah, pretty much. They're disruptors and they give those crucial passes to initiate a final third attack, whether it be a cross out or just threading through the ball. But I think not playing Jordan is a big mistake. And When you look at the emotions of this match, I think Jordan would have been a bigger presence for Arsenal on the pitch. Um, And I'm not saying that Manu was a bad substitute. I I think Manu, which is one of the best players Arsenal has at the moment. But in terms of... It's a game against Chelsea. It's an FA Cup final. Jordan is naturally your leader. I think her personality and character would have worked... would have been good for Arsenal to have on the pitch if the plan was to go into overtime because there was no... I um, was showing on the pitch that Jonas wanted to force us into extra time because nothing changed. I mean, there was never one point after the, the first half. There was not point one point in when I thought that, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Arsenal can actually nick this. It was just disappointing throughout the whole the entire match was just very dull to watch. And I think Jordan gives that footballistic wise and also leadership wise, like I mentioned. But I get what he's saying, but I just, that midfield did not work. The centre-back playing did not work. And it was so easy to make substitutions to be able to fit them both. Even Um, if you're pushing, you know, Caitlin Ford was a good substitution, but if you're talking realistically, you could have put Jordan there. Um, And if you put Mano on in the central, you've seen it before, they interchange quite well. And I think that could have caused a lot more trouble, for example, but I just, it's, I think it's really, really bad to see Jordan Nobbs not play, especially, I mean, she is fit, and she's been waiting for this for so long. So emotionally, I think her head's in the right space. You know, she's been wanting to get by, like, back on the pitch, prove herself, especially ahead of the Euros. She's determined to prove herself to Serena Vigman, and I think it's it's really wrong not to play her. both what she brings for Arsenal but for herself also because she is one of those players that could be leaving – you know, really, really soon, if you if you give her more incentive to leave, then not only is it going to be detriment to the way she plays for Arsenal, but she's going to leave and you're going to leave us with that big gap um, with a player like Jordan Nobbs. But I just think, I get where he's coming from, but I just don't think it's the right decision.
1: Yeah, I, I think you referenced the occasion there. Jordan Nobbs has won five FA Cups and played in seven finals. She played her first final when she was 16 years old. I think she have managed this occasion a lot better than um, a lot of players. Um, who did end up playing, um, would have. But ultimately, I think my bottom line um, on this is, um, you know, I wouldn't have put Jordan on or picked Jordan because it's a nice thing to do and she's a long-serving player and she's very loyal. I'd have picked her from the start or at least put her on at half-time because I think she's the best midfield player at Arsenal, in my opinion, Um, anyway. But people might disagree with that, but... If she's not the best, she's probably the second best, um, at least, and I think that's why she should have played. Um, and because she she just, uh, like we said, she just gives uh, gives us something that I don't think we had throughout the team, and I think what happened as well was the midfield got cut off quite a lot. from The midfield was an island, basically. It wasn't really close enough to the defence to help them out, and it wasn't close enough to the attack to help them out. The distances were... We're all wrong um, all day. And I think a lot of the reason that we were kept out so easily and we were a bit predictable is just because the, the only player we really had dropping in between the lines was Miedema, um, which which is, she's great when she does that, but but it needs to run in behind when she does. She needs someone to bomb in behind. Um, and I think Jordan's kind of perfect for that. Um, or if she's got or Obuchi to combine with. Um, but that, you know, that substitution, in a sense, unfortunate because it was lined up at 1-0. Um, but Chelsea got the second just before it happened. So maybe Manor would have had um, a bit more influence had it stayed 1-0, but I really think that's that's a change. Either one of them should have been made at half-time anyway. Um, before we move away from this game and towards another scary game um, on Thursday night, does, this, um, does the manner of this defeat worry you um, at all going forward or are you able to compartmentalise it as a bad day and a learning point? And maybe it tells us something about where where we could do with um, some reinforcements in the squad.
0: I don't think the players are going to be able to live this down. Um, I, I, I just, the manner that we lost was really heartbreaking i mean the way i was after the match the way i feel about the match even just looking back at it i just i can't imagine what they're feeling like because they had to live that on the pitch and it was up to them you know we're disappointed and but there was nothing we could do about it they had all the control in the world and they didn't show up to the game so i can only imagine what they're feeling like i don't think they're gonna live it down for quite a couple of weeks, potentially. Um, I think the break is potentially coming at a good time for the holidays. They get to, you know, sit back and kind of forget it if they can. Um, just a bit of distraction, I think will do them good. But the way they lost this game was disappointing for so many reasons. Not only that, but like coming it from a fan perspective, this game was a big occasion. You know, there was a decent amount of tickets sold, you know, coming into this game, there was a lot of kids coming this, you know, this was a lot of people's first football match, and um, like I, I brought someone to the match. It was a first football match. Luckily, she doesn't know much about football, so she didn't understand the the, the badness of, of everything. But it was an occasion. It was you know 1.5 million viewers on BBC, like on BBC One. They saw the worst version of Arsenal that I've seen. That I, it's been a long time since I've been this disappointed in the way that Arsenal play. You know, we've lost a lot of games, but it's never been this bad it's been a lot of games that you kind of take the defeat. And even if we lost yesterday, if we would have put up a fight, if it would have been, you know, extra time or a two, one defeat with, you know, that Sam Kerr goal being the winning goal that I could have accepted that, but the manner that the way that we played and the manner that we just did not show up at all. I have so much, like I have so much respect for all these players, but none of them showed up to the occasion and it it was just really disappointing to see. And Everything everything just went wrong. The positioning, you know, the passes out, everyone's touches. And that's to say that Chelsea individually, I think everyone showed up, especially Sofa Ingo. I think she was really big in, in cutting off a lot of Arsenal's attacking play. But again, like Chelsea didn't do anything amazing. They just, they did everything right. They did everything that they do every single week. It was, you know, the formation might've been a surprise, but at the same time, it really wasn't. Like the same players played, the, the formation was pretty much exactly as everyone guessed. Um, Uh, It was just Arsenal not showing up, and it was just really painful to watch because – and I I can't even explain it because you don't know what's going on with the players. Like, you have no idea, and I don't think this was a good moment for them to kind of get this defeat, and I don't know. I don't think they're going to blame each other, but at the end of the day, it was their own defeat, and it was – you know, it wasn't like they can go back into the dressing room and be like, we gave it our all, and we lost – it was, we lost, period. So, and, I, and we're going to get into it, but like coming up against this week, you're coming, you lost the FA Cup final, you're going up against Barcelona, which if I'm being very blunt, there's no chance Arsenal are going to win that. So when you have these two big defeats in the same week, that is really heart-wrenching. And we're lucky that we're playing Leicester City on Sunday, but that's not an easy game either. I think we'll do fine at the end, but Leicester City do put on a really good defensive game and it's going to be really interesting to see how Arsenal kind of go through that. But just this week for the confidence, and I think the way that Jonas wants to play, you need a lot of confidence to be able to play like that. And if the players' heads are down and if our confidence levels do go down, it's going to be really bad. And if we don't get a good win and if the players don't, aren't able to get their heads up, it's going to be really bad going forward. So yeah. it's just, it just, I'm just not really excited to see what happens like in the next couple of weeks. But we'll see. Yeah, I,
1: I think we can see with Man City, right? Like, it, confidence goes quickly, um, and I agree. I think Barcelona is the last thing we need right now. Um, I, I mean, before we just have a little break and come to that Barcelona game, I, I'll just say Arsenal have lost their last four domestic cup finals now uh, since winning the Conti cup in 2018, they've lost um, the FA cup final in 2018 to Chelsea. They lost the Conti cup final in 2019 to Man City on penalties. They lost the 2020 cup uh, Conti cup final to Chelsea. And now they've lost this one. And, um, you know, they'll get to another one soon enough because that's how English football and Arsenal works. But, you know, um, You've you've got to start to wonder what's going to happen in that next final, particularly if, as is probably very likely, it will be against one of Manchester City or Chelsea. But we'll take a small break, and then after that, we'll talk a little bit about um, a small team called Barcelona, who Arsenal play at Emirates Stadium on Thursday night. And then um, at the end of that, we will hear from Arsenal defender Lotta Wubben-Moy, an exclusive interview for us on this podcast. So stay where you are. Okay, we're back. And now we've got Sunday out of our hair, um, cleansed, feeling better, uh, feeling like I've just had some therapy, talking about that. Um, The very easy, simple task of Barcelona at Emirates Stadium on Thursday night. I think exactly what everyone wanted on the back of this. Uh, Nevertheless, going to be a really, really good occasion. The last I heard, they were looking at around 20,000 tickets sold um, at Emirates Stadium, which which is a decent number um and alex we, we won't rehash too much over um kind of the kind of team barcelona are because we did that um back in september before we played them first time so people can dig that podcast out of the archives but i think we saw live and in technicolor what barcelona are about when we played them um a couple of months ago what what what's um what's been the situation with Barcelona since we played them in October? I presume they've lost every single game and they're in the relegation zone.
0: Yeah, they're they're they've actually got a minus fifty four goal difference now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been same old same old really for Barcelona. I think it's a lot of players. There's there's been a couple of injuries that have kind of hurt Barcelona quite a bit, but the same, it's not really hurting them. It's just they don't have those that player as an option they have to pick someone else. But for example, uh, Bruna Vila Mala, she's a really, really good up-and-coming player. She tore ACL um, and she, she's a really good backup for a lot of players that need rest. And Jonathan Girales is really big at rotation more than um, Luis Cortez. Luis Cortez just wouldn't rest this player for, for any single occasion. Whereas Jonathan Girales is a bit more on that. So losing these players did kind of hurt them. Um, and it does force a lot of players to play minutes that they don't necessarily need. Um, but look, it's it's the same old. And, and it's actually gotten worse because I think now um, Frino Ilar Rolfo has really gotten to the rhythm of playing with Barcelona. And that's really dangerous when you know the kind of player that she is. Obviously, with Leila Wahabi, uh, Rolfo was playing at left back. But now Wahabi is back in that position and you have a few injuries up top. So now Rolfo is strictly playing up top. And she's scored, if I'm right off the top of my head, she scored four goals in the league already. One in the Champions League has a few assists and she's getting into the rhythm of playing with these players. You know, she's settling into the Barcelona. Tikita Kassai play really well and she's confident right now. When you look at the way she's playing with streaking, even she's, she's really, really confident. And you have Mariona back, which she was a doubt for this game a couple of weeks ago. She's back. Uh, Liki Martins has been out for a couple of weeks. She's back. Um, so, I I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that there's not much better to say <laughs> for Arsenal, but it's the same old Barcelona. And I think what's going to be really interesting about everything is that Barcelona do have an opportunity to kind of rest players and kind of take their foot off the pedal for this game because even if they don't play their best starting eleven, I think they could still play Arsenal quite decently, especially after Sunday. And you see all the things that we've exploited um, on that. But I think... The way that the WSL gets talked up, and especially you saw it in that final against Chelsea, I don't think Barcelona have any, anything else in their mind than to beat you know, anyone from the English league because there is so much hype about them. And the Spanish league is put under the radar quite a lot. Um, so I think, I don't know if it's, I'm not saying that it's like the first thing they do, but I think unconsciously in the back of their head, they want to beat the best, and if everyone says that the WSL is the best, they want to beat all the WSL teams if they can. Um, and I think that's the mentality that we we have to expect from Barcelona on Thursday,
1: unfortunately. And what about um, uh, just a couple more things on this? Um, you 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 referenced uh, Fridolina Rolfo, who who signed from Wolfsburg this summer, getting into the swing of things. They also signed Ingrid Engen uh, from Wolfsburg this summer, a, a player that pretty much every big club in Europe was interested in, Arsenal included. Um, it, it always struck me as I don't know if luxury signing um, it is, I mean, I guess you do need depth, but then like Ingrid Engen isn't a depth player really, because she's so good. How's, um, how's, how's Ingrid Engen getting on at Barcelona?
0: It's been really disappointing, because obviously you know, Padre Icaro plays in the same position as she does, and Patrick Haro is one, really good, two, really young. Um, so she's not necessarily a player that's gonna be taken off or arrested quite a lot because she simply doesn't need the rest like other players do. She's still at, she's I mean, she's not even at the prime of her career. She's just really young, very fit. Um, so unless there's a big, big injury on her, I don't think Ingrid Engen is ever gonna get the title spot for that, for that position. And you know, Ingrid Engen is a world class player. She is very young and she's not she shouldn't be second to anyone. Um, and I'm not saying that signing for Barcelona was necessarily a bad thing, but it was a decision that I think she consciously knew what was going to happen. Um, when you have Patry and Patry is just cemented, when when you see the effect that Patry has on the other two, I don't think that's going to be replaceable. But I think regardless of that, it has been very underwhelming what she's been doing for the club. Um, she's a brilliant player. I mean, I would have loved to see her at Arsenal. As well, And she picked Barcelona, which is fine because it's a team that she can learn a lot of, especially in her position. I think that number six position in Barcelona is it's very sacred. Um, and I think she'll learn a lot, but she hasn't played a lot. And I don't know if that's down to simply Patri just being irreplaceable for, for Giralde. So it's for other reasons, but we've not seen her at all, you know, get on the pitch and impress a lot the few times that she has played it's been a bit underwhelming. And I think that's simply because she hasn't had minutes enough to get used to playing with the team. And when she does play, it's a lot of the players are switched out. So it's just a dominant effect down the pitch that all these players don't have enough minutes to be able to play like a first starting 11. But essentially it's been very disappointing. Um, but I, I don't think it's entirely her fault. Um, and okay. it is very hard, you know, uh, the men say it as well. It's very hard to come to Barcelona and fit in. Uh, Rolfo has obviously done that well and but I don't think Engren has adapted I wouldn't say as well just as quickly as Rolfo has had the opportunity to
1: yeah yeah and I think um you know it's uh, I mean I guess this goes for Rolfo too but like when you move country once and then you move country a second time and you're still quite young so Engen went from Norway to Germany and now Germany to Spain and that's quite a big change and um, I, I actually spoke to Freedom Arnhem about something similar, you know, she moved from Norway to Sweden, um, which which was, you know, still like moving away from her family and stuff like that. But then Sweden to England, she said, yeah, obviously that's been a much bigger change. And I imagine that Germany to Spain um, is quite similar in that respect. Just Just finally on this game, obviously it's being played at the Emirates as opposed to Meadow Park. And I think we all understand the reasons why, um, and, you know, the the sort of crowd we're going to get at the Emirates on Thursday wouldn't fit into Meadow Park by a long chalk. But do you think purely from a footballing standpoint, do you think that that will suit Barcelona more than Meadow Park? Or, I mean, my view is, to be honest, it probably doesn't matter <laughs> either way. Um, but do do you think that that the Barcelona players will... Guess enjoy the Emirates more than they would Meadow Park or do you think it makes no difference at all?
0: I honestly think it makes no difference from a Barcelona perspective um, I think the one thing that Barcelona don't like to do is play is, is play on turf and I think that Bournemouth obviously does not have that so I think I really don't think it would matter from a Barcelona perspective I think it matters more in an Arsenal perspective I think they're a lot more comfortable. They have been, it was really interesting to see Jonas and how important he, that training session at the Emirates, um, just being in and around the, the stadium, he said that he wanted the players to feel a lot more comfortable in it um, simply because they're not, and that's not a secret. But I was, I mean, when we've, when I first saw that, that uh, Arsenal and Barcelona were in the same group, I was really excited for them to come to Bournemouth because of the atmosphere and what that can give to Arsenal. It's such a different environment. And, we saw it yesterday at Wembley, you know, it's not a sold out stadium. It's not, the environment was good, but it wouldn't be as good as if you have really close fans to you. Okay. Um, so for Barcelona, I don't think they care. I mean, I think they're going to, it's another opportunity to play at a really good stadium. And you know, the pitch when, if you go to the Emirates, you know, you can't touch the pitch. So the pitch is impeccable. Um, but at the same time, you know, Boromod has a really good pitch as well. It has a really high standard pitch and we all know that, but I think, in terms of Arsenal, I think it's, it's a shame it's not being played at Boreham And I understand that you want to get more fans in and it's an occasion. And it's really nice that it is at the Emirates Stadium, don't get me wrong. I am really excited to see it. But in terms of Arsenal, especially after this week, I think having their fans close by would have been a lot better for the occasion. But at the same time, I get it and I am excited. But, yeah, I think Barcelona don't really care.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, um, I think particularly if you've got like a a slightly smaller crowd, but like a sold out Boreham Wood where, you know, people know the players and know all the songs for the players and stuff like that. Whereas on Thursday, there's going to be a lot of people, um, you know, happily uh, from a commercial perspective. But there's going to be a lot of people who, um perhaps haven't been to see the women's team before or aren't as familiar with them and and yeah and obviously the stadium's a bit more cavernous and like you say we saw that at Wembley I was um just just to put the seal on my day my my kind of the bit of the press box I was in was right down next to the Chelsea end um as well so um I could hear like um their supporters club you know because um, obviously they all sat together a bit like the Arsenal supporters' club sat together, and 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 I could hear them, but like the noise wasn't travelling really because like a hundred, two hundred people in an arena like that, the the noise just doesn't carry. Um, but nevertheless, I, I I hope that at least like um, having like a bigger crowd that's going to be partisan and behind Arsenal, I I, I hope that, that that creates something at least. Um, But I I thought that was really interesting what Jonas said, actually, at the open day. I don't know if you noticed this, but when we were um, when we were inside in the media room, I I could hear that they were piping noise into the stadium. So you could hear they were piping in the are by far the greatest team um, the world has ever seen chant like over and over for about 20 minutes. And, uh, And Jonas said that that. Part of the well, the thinking behind that is obviously the players are used to being able to shout and hear one another quite easily at Meadow Park and pretty much every other ground they play at. But you know, his reasoning was both Wembley and the Emirates. That's probably not going to be possible. It's probably not going to be possible for Katie McCabe and Steph Catley to to yell at each other from forty, fifty yards away. So he wanted to prepare them to kind of cope with that communication wise um and that's that's going to be input because communication amongst players is going to be really important because Arsenal aren't going to have an awful lot of the ball um but I think it'll be really interesting to see whether or what they learned from that first game against Barca because a lot of the players have said that they they feel like they learned from it but the, the key kind of takeaway for them was that they needed to be better on the ball when they have it and um, unfortunately, I didn't see much evidence of that at uh, Wembley on Sunday. And I, and I think if we play anything like that, I mean, if Chelsea can beat us 3 uh, 0, Barca could, you know, Barca could go quite a few more, <laughs> I think. So it's going to have to be a much, much better performance um, on Thursday. But stranger things have happened. Um, we'll pass over to my interview with Lotta Wubben Moy in a minute. But Alex, thanks as ever for your insight.
0: Yeah, thanks for making me relive Sunday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> therapy, therapy. That's going to be the title of this podcast. Therapy. Session. <laughs> um, and so now we're going to hear um, from Lotta Wub and Moy, who I spoke to. This was recorded, this interview about three weeks ago um, at Emirates Stadium. Really grateful to Arsenal who invited a few of us down um, when Arsenal were doing the kind of publicity shots, which you've probably seen by now of, of Jordan and Beth and Anna Patton and Lotta at the at the Emirates. Um, and I, I had a chat, obviously I had a chat with Jordan that that day as well, and that interview's up on the site, it's my pinned tweet as well if you haven't uh, read it yet, um, but also spoke to Lotta Moy, and obviously huge game for Lotta, being a Stoke Newington girl, lifelong Arsenal fan, came through the academy, so for her to play at Emirates Stadium, and, and it's pretty certain she's going to start as well, obviously really, really special, and uh, really grateful to Lotta for her time as well, so Here's me speaking to Lotta Wubben at Emirates Stadium. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is
0: Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you
1: Motta, my first question i've spoken to anna a couple of times this year so i want to ask you a few similar questions i asked anna Um, but when you you broke into the team obviously under pedro and just before you went to the u.s and, uh, and that all happened. I mean, I know you'd, you'd made your debut before that, but playing all of those games in the mm-hmm. spring series—that I remember that being quite like surprising at the time. Um, if you'd known that that was going to happen, would that have had any impact on your decision to go to the US? Which I take it you'd already made at that point.
2: Um, I actually thought, um, like, long and hard about my decision to go to the states. I think probably up until. The, the day that i actually left um one because this is my childhood club but Mm. two because when you make such a big decision with so such big implications i often think it's natural that you feel so like tentative to actually go through with it just because if it's not such a big decision then you don't have that feeling Mm. and um i actually think those feelings were the ones that said you need to make this decision and you need to Follow, follow it through because it's, it's in those moments that the biggest change happens and mm. um, I didn't know at that time but I genuinely think that decision that I made um, was what has made me the, the person I am today um, and no regrets whatsoever um, so yeah I, I did think about it a lot um, because I was starting at my childhood club Um, But the way football is really, it's so fluid and anything Mm. can happen um, that you just have to live in that moment and, and follow through on your decisions.
1: And uh, one of the things I asked Anna as well was whether um, it was always in her mind to come back to Arsenal. Now I know, like you trained here and things mm-hmm. like that, and she said, I mean, yeah, obviously I didn't think I will definitely come back to Arsenal, but if the opportunity is there, I probably will. But she said in that answer, unprompted, she said that she didn't, she wasn't actually sure that you would, mm-hmm. because she said that um, she thought you really took to life in the US. Quite a lot, so she kind of said, I, "Actually, I was." There was a part of me that doubted whether Lotta, hmm. whether Lotta would, or whether she would stay in the US. Does that um, does that sound like a fair assessment?
2: If I if I look back at that time um, and I look at the options that I had, if I was going to come to England, back to England, it was only ever going to be Arsenal. Um, uh, the thought of ever coming back to, a, to England and it not being um, where I actually genuinely wanted to be um, that that really made me think, OK, if I am going to come back to England, it is going to be Arsenal. If, if I, that, I don't get that offer, then I'll stay in the States. Um, and I think a lot of it is contextual, so based on what was going on in my life at that moment, there was COVID, there was um, friendships, whatever, and how much I was enjoying it out in the States, um, that also played into it. But Arsenal was the club I so desperately wanted to come back to, and I'm so lucky that I got the opportunity to actually come back.
1: Yeah, sure. And um I, I, I read something about like at school that you were like a really good all round athlete that um, you know, netball, athletics, things like that. Was um was but was football always going to be your kind of was football always your biggest love, basically?
2: I think so. Um, I'd get home from school and go straight out out onto the estate pitch that was nearby. Um pretty much all learnt about life with a ball at my feet. Um, my parents didn't know much about football, so I could sort of create a football this world that I wanted and sort of had that freedom and independence to do so. Um, so it, it's always felt sort of second nature. Um, and if I look at it now, when you think of what a job is, um, you go into work every day, that is second nature. And that's kind of what it feels like now. It's less of a job, but more so just what I do and second nature
1: and how um you know you, you referenced reference there like um you know when you were younger going out with the ball at your feet and things mm-hmm. like that and obviously you know you're from fairly local um actually my you're you're from my grandparents live not far away from where you're from oh, cool. actually i've got family in e9 yeah. um in hackney Big up. and um and so like how and obviously coming back you know coming back into that area mm-hmm. and things like that how connected do you feel Still, to you know, to like Stoke Newington and Bow, and, oh, and even
2: more so. Mm. I think I I I like the I like I like the American way, and I, I respect it. But I think sometimes you don't know yourself, or you don't know what you like until you also know what you don't like, and that felt very much the case when I was in the States. I wanted to come back to London to see all my mates, to go to Vicky Park, to to be in the the environments and the I think it's an energy in London that I feel to be around that, um, I craved it and every time I'd come back to England um, I'd be so looking forward to it because I could be back in my hometown back in London um, so there's definitely a connection that I feel with it um, less so tangible but more so I feel it inside um, and I honestly can't imagine myself living anywhere else in England for this time being um, which is part of the reason why I chose to, uh, I've chosen to stay in London. I don't mind making that commute around the M25 to yeah. into Colney every day because I think I gain so much from being around my my area in, in London and being around that. Um, I think it pays for so much when you're you feel you feel good off the pitch, um, and can come onto the pitch and do the job and know that there is that threshold of passing the, M, the M11 well, <laughs> on a Thursday afternoon. Going, coming home from work thinking, OK, I've had a good day at work and I can now chill and relax and recover.
1: And um, this summer, um, you know, big experience for you, you know, going out with Team, G, uh, Team GB to mm-hmm. Japan. What did you take from that experience both personally and professionally?
2: Living in the moment. Um, I think it's so easy to look ahead to victories to losses to what's next but in reality if you're not enjoying that moment if you're not getting everything you can from that moment um I don't think you'll ever be satisfied um I wouldn't say I I left the Olympics unsatisfied but I also didn't leave satisfied um I'm obviously a young player and I'm learning every day every day more and more but um I also think i I need, I need those, those learning lessons to, to dictate what will come for me in the future um, and I obviously was so grateful that I could, could go um, and I obviously hope next time that it is both a different outcome but also I get a, a bigger opportunity to make an impact.
1: And just before the Olympics, like you finished last season really strongly as well, particularly in the spring. And actually, I think last week Jonas was referring to um, he kind. Of, he was asked about you know what was different, and he said actually a lot of the platform of what I'm doing now was was laid in the spring, um, and particularly I think off the back of that Manchester United game back in March. Um, you know, and you were because of injuries as well. You were playing all of the time um, at that point. Is that? I guess is that like a that both that period and that goal and that game Mm. against Manchester United is that like the high point of your career so far?
2: Um, I I think so, Um, and I'm tentative to say that because I think you your the high points aren't necessarily what is on the surface, but it's also like something deeper than that, and it is the lessons I learned. Maybe the two weeks after that Manchester United goal, when things are things aren't so in the lights and whatnot, and it's not written about that's when you learn the most, I think um so maybe that is a high for the facade and for the achievement of it, but I think my my biggest highs in football have been when I've learned the most, when I've experienced some of the some of the best like m- memories that I can share with other people. Um, and I think as a whole, my, the high of my career right now is playing for Arsenal and it's continuous. So a high, yeah, it can last for a moment, but my high right now is this and I'm living it and couldn't be happier.
1: And, uh, you know, this, this season as well, like um, there's a lot of competition at centre back. Obviously, Jen's come back uh, to fitness, Simone Boy Sorensen's come in, Vicky's back to fitness. Um, all quite experienced players and Leah of course younger but still vastly experienced what what kind of do you take from training with those players as well as competing with those players every day?
2: Um, what do I take? I, I think we're all very different players and we're all at def- very different stages of our careers um, I think what I take from from the group of them is that you're only as good as your last performance and you're you're only as good as your last session if you want to use that phrase as well um because at one point someone could be doing better than you and another point you could be doing better than someone else but it's less so about that competition it's more so about you yourself and how you're getting better from from every last performance and if you can use that as a metric to push yourself on more i think um it becomes less malicious and more so you empowering others to push them on but them also empowering you to push you on and I think that's very indicative of what this team is about we're we're together um, and we want to empower each other to push the other one on further because you know that at the end of the day that's going to help the team get better
1: And what's what what kind of, I guess on the detail side what's changed under Jonas this season compared to Joe?
2: He's aggressive in the press and he wants us to be a forward thinking team um, which I really like Uh, I can work both ways forward and backwards um, so if a ball does get knocked over the top if we've pushed the whole team up um, I do think I can get there so I feel confident in it Um, but honestly like just the positivity and the passion um, which is so important Um, I think it's often underestimated um, in how much it can, can help a team and obviously it's shown with us playing um, week in week out um, and he's obviously getting to know the Arsenal way and getting to know the ropes a bit bit more as as the days go by but I definitely think what he's brought is the positivity and the passion and um, it's electric isn't it it's cool to be a part of um, and it does also make you feel like you can sort of express yourself in that way and just be you
1: and uh, obviously just thinking about the game here against Barcelona I mean obviously it's well documented that you know you're a lifelong Arsenal fan and you've got Arsenal in your family what does it mean to you and maybe to your aunt as well for Mm -hmm. you to play here at the Emirates Stadium Um,
2: I mean you never really think that these moments will come about Um, let alone come about like two, two times in a season and hopefully more and more as the club invests more and Progresses us uh, to become more regular here um, so I guess I should um, appreciate these moments now before they hopefully become a regular um, but honestly it, it's hard to put it into words because um, like I've probably uh, banged on about I think a lot of my feelings with football are deep down and um, not necessarily surface but it might be me sat in the changing room just before the game thinking wow that is, this is so cool and obviously so when you get out on the pitch um it becomes a a flow of the game um but yeah without the cliche um it's 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 an un- unbelievable feeling you can't really describe it
1: and um you know thinking again about kind of barcelona quite a daunting game here um as well what separates barcelona uh, as some I mean I know you came on towards the end of um the game out there um what what really kind of yeah, what, what separates them in terms of, like, because they just look to be on a different level to different everyone.
2: Level. I didn't come on towards the end of last game. I wish I did, because these are the games that you want to play. Um, they are a very well-gelled team, and they know where one another are going to be in any given situation, which makes it then hard for us to defend against, obviously. Um, and also, even with, like, the 50-50 balls that just seem to drop, it falls to them I don't know if it's positionally I want whatever they're eating drinking for <laughs> breakfast lunch dinner um, but they're obviously the gold standard at the moment and hats off to them they've um, they've worked hard for it it's not like it's just happened in a day um, if you look off the back of the last two sort of three years um, they've had their tough times and it's obviously culminated into this now and I think if you're looking at that as a journey, and you maybe look at us, um, I think within the next two three years um, we can be in a similar situation with the amount of talent we have, and also the amount of learning that we can we can uh, have. Um, so, yeah, I think without giving too much respect, or without bigging them up too much, um, I give respect to them, but I also am excited for the way we can come out and, and, and play against them because. Uh, I believe in, I believe in growth, and it's obviously a nice chunk between the first time we played them and the second time. And obviously, I'd love to be able to play um, and uh, give it our all.
1: And a final one from me. For, for some reason, we have a big Dutch audience that um, oh, reads course. the site. <laughs> um, and they'd would be all in my Twitter mentions if I didn't ask because Viv's basically Scottish nowadays. So She's how much? <laughs> how much do you miss uh, DVD and Jill Roard having them around and and you know like keeping the you know keeping the Dutch going as well?
2: I'm actually teaching Dutch to my boyfriend because I am missing speaking <laughs> Dutch as much as um, I did last season. Um, it's it's a nice synergy that you get between um, speaking English to flow into Dutch. Um, being around those girls and it, they've got such like a laid back attitude and um, like you say they're slightly Scottish um, <laughs> but it's it's still nice to be able to um, s- switch into a different language and um, yeah like I, I love being around those girls uh, it's a shame they're not here s- still but uh, they're doing well at their other clubs and um, it's It'll be cool when we play them eventually, hopefully.
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually, sorry, just a final question off that. Like, what was that kind of... So I'm in a similar situation in that, like, my wife's Brazilian and we okay. speak Portuguese to oh, my cool. daughter. Yeah. What was it like kind of growing up in a bilingual household? Is is that is she how
2: speaking it, Portuguese to her daughter?
1: Uh, I So we oh. both speak, speak Portuguese speak to her. Do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, do yeah.
2: Do it. I like... I feel i'm so lucky that my dad spoke dutch to me um mm. not just for it being dutch specifically but also i think it gives you um a different way of looking at life and also other languages so mm-hmm. your daughter will then be able to flow much easily into other languages i think um don't don't uh, quite yeah, know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she can't speak german tomorrow um but yeah no i i loved it i love being able to have diverse like views on things and Seeing different things and being open to different things, I think it's invaluable. Um, also, invaluable to be bilingual. You can chat to t- chat to different yeah. people, and I think as English, as Engl- the English as a whole, we're quite ignorant in the sense that we go to every country and expect them to speak. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's nice to be able to uh, speak speak another language, whether it's just a few words or more. But no. It was great growing up in a bilingual household and it's cool for your daughter as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really cool. Lotta, thank you very much. No worries, And that's all we have time for for this edition of the Arsenal Women Ask cast on com. Sorry we couldn't bring you flowers and sunshine in the wake of Sunday's game, but hopefully you found listening to a kind of debrief slash post-mortem on the game as therapeutic as Alex, as Alex and I did talking about it Um We'll see what happens on Thursday night against Barcelona. Obviously, that game is kicking off at 7pm on Thursday evening, taking place at Emirates Stadium. Tickets are still on sale and they're available. £12 for adults, £6 concessions, absolute bargain. We'll see what Arsenal come up with on Thursday evening, but obviously it's going to be a really, really trying match, as we saw in the initial match in the first game of the group stage where Arsenal were beaten 4-1 in, in Spain. Um, but we'll see what happens this time. Really grateful as ever to co-host Alex Ibaceta uh, and really grateful to Lotta wubham for giving up uh, some of her time to talk to us. And big thanks again to Daniel Lane and Rob Fowden at Arsenal for making that interview happen and getting us some time with Lotta uh irl in real life which um is a a kind of vanishing rarity nowadays for obvious reasons but we hope you enjoyed this episode we don't quite know when the next episode is going to be coming out we think it will probably be early january given that we've done three in three weeks um, which, you know, we're not usually that prolific, but also just um, a plug to look out for some extra stuff that we're adding on the site at the moment. Obviously, we have started doing video content um, around the games with uh, Jason Illigan, who's who's helping me kind of do post-match videos and the like, um, and we're, we're looking to, to continue doing that. One of the things we're going to do on the site as well is we're going to start posting the starting lineups um, in a post on Ask Blog News, uh, with the hope that if people want to chat about the game, there'll be the comments section there for them. I'll dip in and out of the comments section as well during the game. So we'll have a, a bit of a match day thread for you on Ask Blog News over on the site. Um, and, but until then, huge thanks to everyone for continuing to engage with, with our Arsenal women content. We're, we're really proud of it and we're really happy with how it's going. And, um, big thanks to a lot of the people who, who helped to make it happen, like Alex, like Pippa, like Miedema stuff. Um, like Kunjin as well with the photos, like Jason with the video. There's, there's a little team of us there assembled now and we're all really passionate about Arsenal women and we hope that that comes through in the content. But, um, until then, um, we probably won't speak to you until January. So if it is your custom to celebrate the festive season, a very happy festive season to you. I'm going to be spending it in sunnier climes in Brazil, which I'm really, really, really looking forward to. Um, And I hope you have a safe, happy, and peaceful one wherever you are. Until next time, goodbye. Hold
0: up.